welcome to Diversity and Inclusion on Air. I am Lisa Greenhill, the Associate Executive Director for Diversity and Institutional Research with the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges. Welcome to the second episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Um, today, we are delighted to um, invite and be joined by our colleagues, Dr. Roseanne Taylor and Dr. Jamie Gogora. I'm sorry, could you pronounce your name? I'm sorry, I should have asked that before we went live. I'm so sorry. Jaime Gongora. Gongora, thank you so much. From the University of Sydney. Today, we're going to talk a bit about um, diversity and inclusion um, at the School of Veterinary Medicine um, at, at uh, University of Sydney. Um, and uh, we're going to learn a bit about the demographics in Australia and Sydney um, in particular, and some of the things that uh, the uh, dean and um, professors are doing at the University of Sydney to encourage and teach their students about cultural competence, particularly working with indigenous peoples. But before we get started, I would like to invite our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. So Dr. Taylor, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about your background and how you came to veterinary medicine. Thank you, Lisa. It's lovely to be here. And thanks for the opportunity to talk to you about this. Um, I'm a graduate of the University of Sydney. I uh, did a large animal internship and worked as a horse vet for a while before um, starting a PhD. Uh, worked on inherited neurological diseases uh, in government and uh, postdocs both in Australia and overseas uh, in the States and um, since I came back to the University of Sydney, I've developed a real passion for learning and teaching and have gone all the way from being a tutor through to being dean. So I'm the first female dean of the veterinary school here at Sydney, and I'm currently the chair of the Council of Veterinary Deans of Australia and New Zealand. So good to be wow. here. Great. Thank and Dr. Gangora. Thank you, Lisa, for the invitation. And Thank you, Dr. for sharing today with us your, your thoughts as well. Uh, I am originally from Colombia. Uh, I came to Australia in 2000 to do my PhD in animal genetics. I am a biologist by formation, and also I am a physician educator. Uh, my interests are animal genetics, crocodiles, platypuses, wild pigs. But in the last four years, I have been taking a role in the cultural competence area. Great, wonderful. Thank you both for joining us. Um, this is uh, the first time that we've actually featured, um, well, this is the second time that we've had this program and we're really so excited to feature one of our international members. So thank you so much for joining us. This is, a, um, I am actually in Washington state today. So the time zone difference has kind of got me a little bit in a loop, um, but I am so excited for you both to, to join us on the program. So today we're going to talk a bit about Australia. And um, so in a little bit of my background research, I realized that the indigenous populations in Australia make up a pretty small percentage of the population. As we, as most folks know, Australia is pretty sparsely populated, um, major kind of uh, population centers in, in major cities, um, certainly along um, the coastlines. But um, this is, uh, the indigenous populations are pretty small um, and sparsely located. So I'm kind of curious, how um, the, uh, the vet school there kind of started to take this on. Um, and if you could kind of tell us a little bit also about the, um, about the, the faculty there, um, the student demographics, and kind of how did you um, kind of start on the path of, of 
teaching cultural competence? Uh, it's a great question and one I'd love to answer. So um, at the University of Sydney, we're one of Australia's oldest universities. Uh, well, the first university in Australia and our VET school is the, uh, the first program that produced graduates, I guess, over the first, over the last century in Australia. So um, we're you know, really proud of about 5,000 alumni, veterinary scientists and now animal scientists. And uh, because for many years, we're the only VET school in Australia that operated also for New Zealand, we've um, actually produced a lot of the veterinarians that have really seeded the professions. But increase, you know, to begin with, our professions were very um, European, um, male-dominated and rurally focused. And I think part of our journey in the last 10, 15 years has been making that shift to being more inclusive, more diverse um, and, and more globally focused. So the University of Sydney is, um, it's a large university, it's, it's one of the, it's in the top rankings um, globally, in the top 50, and our vet school is actually ranked 11th globally, um, and we have multiple accreditations, including from the AAVMC and from European and UK accreditation bodies, etc. So, you know, we're really positioned at that kind of global interface looking out towards the world. Um, in terms of demographics, um, the veterinary school you know, New South Wales, the state we sit in, is um, a state that's seen an enormous amount of, um, of migration over recent years. It's one of the most popular places that people come to when they come from overseas to, to Australia. So Sydney, the city that we are sited in, has um, a po local population of around about 35, 40% of people speak a second language other than English, um, often as their first language. So we actually are starting from a very broad, uh, diverse population base to begin with. And also our, in our student base, about 25% of our students are international students who often come from countries, you know, 47 countries around the world. So, you know, we start with that kind of quite an international outward looking um, context. But the story around Indigenous students has not been quite such a happy one. So in Australia, the Indigenous population, um, our Aboriginal people, the first people in Australia, uh, make up about 1.8-2% uh, of Australia's population. But very sadly, they, you know, they, their rates of completing high school um, are very low and have been traditionally very low because they've been quite a disadvantaged population. And our real challenge has been thinking about you know, the thing that got us on this pathway was thinking about how do we um, attract and recruit and educate veterinarians and animal scientists uh, to really serve our Indigenous communities in Australia and how do we include those people to uh, provide opportunities and to um, enable them to develop their talents. So I think that was really what started it probably about 15, 17 years ago. And... Um, we started on a pathway of, of recruiting Indigenous students, which has been incredibly successful. I'd love to tell you more about that. Um, and then more recently, we, uh, we've started to think about this in, the much, in a much broader context about cultural competence and what a critical skill that is uh, for functioning as a professional, particularly in years to come. You know, we really are a very, uh, in an interconnected world, we work with so many different cultures. So for us, really thinking about how we understand and work effectively with Indigenous cultures 
is a little bit like um, a very important starting point for us to then think about engaging internationally. So. Great, wonderful. So, um, so uh, Dr. Gangura, could you tell us a little bit about your role specifically at the vet school? Yes, of course. Uh, in the last three years, I have been leading the indigenous portfolio in the faculty. I have been assuming the role of to be indigenous, and I have been leading, overseeing, promoting a cultural competence, cultural safe environments, engaging staff in embedding the cultural competence into the curriculum. Uh, promoting engagement with the indigenous communities, enhancing our research portfolio in the indigenous area, and trying to do our best to welcome people from different cultures here. And in that process, uh, we have identified five areas of interest for the faculty. One of them is support current indigenous students. The other one is promote cultural safe environments not only for indigenous culture, but for, for students and staff from other cultures, facilitate the transition of high school students into the university. And possibly later, I will explain one of the start of the activities that we have in the faculty, and also embedding cultural competence into the curriculum and enhancing our community engagement. That has been my role here in the last few years. In that process, we have been a, designing, planning about 20 initiatives. And uh, these 20 initiatives have been in the last three years and still we are planning for the next three years at the moment as well. Wow, 20 initiatives is a lot. <laughs> it is so a lot. When Jaime came to me to talk about them, I said, I think we can get two or three done. And he's done. Sure, sure. So, um, Dean Taylor, you mentioned a bit about recruitment. So, tell me a little bit about maybe an initiative related to recruitment to recruitment of Indigenous folks. What we have done, the Central University organized uh, or have organized in the last two years, and will continue organizing what we call the Summer School Program, and this consists in bringing Indigenous students from across Australia to a week of showing how a faculty works, how the teacher careers work, what scientists and practitioners do in this area. So they, will can, they can experience in some way university life and they can have more elements and information to make decisions in the future. Last year and in the last two years, we have brought nearly 200 students from across Australia, from year eight to year 12. And then they are split or divide in groups into the faculties and the staff offer some kind of activities hands-on. For instance, here in the faculty, we have offered uh, some kind of uh, reproductive technology demonstration. We take the students to the farm. We show them the labs and work in the lab, we do some little bit of genetics by informatics. And also they have the opportunity to go to the clinic and chat with the staff in the clinic and see how this works. So they have more elements. And even if some of them don't want to study pet science, they may have better information to decide about their future. Sure, now, it's, sure. Been an it's been an amazing program. The students have a lot of fun as well. They also have a whole range of social programs and sort of mentoring and networking with current students. So 
Um, I think the thing that I've noticed seeing students come through it is how it opens up possibilities for people whose parents didn't finish high school, who are the first one in their family to have finished high school, to be aspiring to come to Australia's first and uh, one of our most prestigious universities. It, you know, just to see the kind of the pride and aspiration that comes through the program is really amazing because you know, they see it's possible. Absolutely, that's really exciting. Um, and I'm sure that many of our faculty and administrators at schools around the world are wondering how you fund such an amazing program. Yeah, we've been fortunate. Um, our university made a major strategic investment in our Indigenous initiatives around about four years ago, where Australia's first university to appoint a Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Indigenous, and we've got uh, He's really been leading these programs um, and it's it's really been about thinking about all the different ways in which you can create um, a supportive, inclusive, um, enabling environment to fully enable Indigenous Australians to make their greatest contribution and for our university to serve Australia's Aboriginal communities as well fully. So it's his, with his appointment, we uh, were able to attract funds from, uh, from the government to establish a whole series of programs which have seeded initial initiatives. But you know, we're not talking about large funds, we're talking about small bits and pieces to make programs happen. So it's amazing what you can do with even quite small seed funds. And that would be one of my messages. You don't need, you don't need a lot of money to make a lot of things happen. What we want uh, in, in the short and long term is that cultural competence, cultural safe environment become some kind of everybody business and business as usual. It's not just a token thing, just a tick box of the process of the services that this is part of what we are here in Sydney University. Yeah, sure. So, um, so there seems to have been a lot of of activity, particularly in the last three or four years, kind of what led up to um, this? It sounds like there was a bit of a sea change. So, um, and Dean Taylor, we've worked together um, on um, accreditation issues regarding the AVMA, COE, um, and diversity. Um, and I know that during some of those conversations earlier this year, um, you talked briefly about um, the impact of kind of diversity issues um, on accreditation in Australia. And so um, has that played a role in kind of launching some of these, um, this kind of interest in diversity and cultural competence with the Australian schools um, or is the University of Sydney particularly unique in kind of being strategic in this area or both? That's a big question. So I might answer it in two parts. So let me talk first about the journey and then about accreditation because I think the two do intersect a bit. Um, I really think the thing that precipitated this for us was um, this major sea change that we had in our faculty, probably going back 15, 17 years, when we really decided we wanted to face the world um, and made a major change to our curriculum to be more internationally focused to be more focused on professional skills and competencies to be a well-rounded practitioner. Um, and at the same time, we restructured our faculty to get rid of all of our schools. We, um, we had a major leadership program. We focused on cultural, our faculty culture. And we sort of very intentionally began looking at ways to develop and to, um, and to uh, 
optimise you know, the, the benefits that come from being inclusive and diverse in all its dimensions. So at the same time, um, I was sitting on a curriculum committee and I was able to argue for, um, I was quite a junior academic then, I was able to argue that uh, we should have, um, we should admit Indigenous students because we had none that we knew of uh, who had identified as Indigenous. So we started a program then of admitting students but um, and admitting them based on the advice that our Cadigal Centre, which is a support centre for Indigenous students, gave if they did an assessment of students and said to us, you know, we believe that this student has a likelihood of success, we would admit the student and they'd have a, a modified study program for the first two years of additional tutorial support and then uh, would progress through the vet science program. So you can imagine how hard it was for those students you know, to be the very first to be coming into a curriculum that hadn't really, uh, that had yet to address their needs and had yet to acknowledge the importance uh, and the particular position that uh, Aboriginal Austra Aboriginals Australians should be playing uh, in our thinking um, about um, veterinary science. So um, while we admitted students um, and they've been very successful, Interestingly, they've actually outperformed the students that have come from the top private schools. Really? Their success rates have been extraordinary, even though they've come in uh, often with quite, um, you know, they haven't, you know, they've come in uh, and been admitted and provided support and they've been very successful. So we've graduated 16 Indigenous students. Um, but probably a few years ago when Jaime and I started talking about this, uh, about what we might do, we realised that we had a problem. And the problem was our Indigenous students really didn't feel comfortable identifying themselves as being Indigenous often, and they didn't really feel that they were, that their culture, that their, their, uh, that their interests were being fully represented or, or met by the faculty. So at that time, we thought uh, it was really time to think about a much more systematic approach to change our curriculum, to change our, you know, to engage the whole faculty with thinking about how we serve Indigenous Australia. So I think it's been a multi-step process and of course the funds and the focus that our DVC Indigenous have brought have really accelerated that um, in the last four or five years. So that's been our journey and um, it's been a great journey. Jaime's recently been acknowledged um, by winning one of Australia's top teacher learning prizes for the work he's done in this area. So we were incredibly proud Congratulations. and delighted with his recent Office of Learning and Teaching Award. So at the same time, I guess we've been thinking about accreditation. When we went down this process of being more outwardly focused and looking at the world, we we dug up, we, when we first started 15 or 16 years ago, we didn't have AVMA accreditation. So Part of the process for us was actually looking at what AVMA required and thinking about what it would mean to be globally accredited and um, how, you, how your curriculum would, be, uh, would meet the needs of, of global graduates. So that was one first step. And then, of course, more recently, um, we've been thinking about, uh, about the appropriate curriculum that more deeply develops uh, cultural competence, which Jaime will talk a bit about in a minute. So um, I think accreditation has certainly helped us. Um, more recently, we've, been, we've begun discussions with our local accreditation um, 
uh, organisation for Australia and New Zealand called AVBC or VSAC uh, about embedding cultural competence as and um, an awareness of the need to support Indigenous peoples in Australia and New Zealand in every one of our standards. And I think it's fair to say that uh, people realise now that you know it impacts our mission, it, it impacts our admissions policies, it, it, it's, it impacts our student support, it impacts the way we recruit and promote staff. Um, there are so many dimensions in our research. So I'd love to see that fed into the accreditation standards and for the next few years, we might see that happen, I think. Sure, sure. Great. Um, so how, um, Sata um, Gangora, you, you mentioned that you were supporting faculty and, and Dean Taylor has just kind of talked a bit about how the curriculum has, has evolved. So could you tell us a little bit about how faculty have um, integrated lessons about cultural confidence into the curriculum? This is certainly something that we're seeing in our American schools um, and we're developing programs, certainly through my office at AAVMC, um, and, and this is uh, certainly one of those programs that we've developed to kind of help support our efforts um, at the schools. But could you talk a little bit about how faculty are doing this in a, in, you know, yeah. in a maybe concrete way so that folks kind of have some examples? Okay, yes. Um, firstly, uh, three years, four years ago, we sit down with different colleagues and we study a final challenge. And we see the challenge as an opportunity to do something there. So and we identify that cultural competence is important. We recognize nationally and internationally and it's an important element of professional practice. For animal scientists, for the science, it's very important. The other area that we identify is that our students will hear with clients across culture including indigenous plants. And that is important that the students have some understanding about cultural competence. And the other element that we identified was that culture or cultural perceptions of animals can have a, an impact on the welfare, well-being, and health of the animal in the relationship of the client and the practitioner, in the relationship between the student or the graduate and the community where they are working. So once we identified that challenge, so we said what we need to do. So we knew that cultural competence was a very crucial element to be embedded in the curriculum. After that, we continued some discussions and we said, okay, cultural competence is very big. It's a very complex matter. And we identified three elements. We said we should embed, and the first element should be cultural competence relevant for professional practice. The second element should be indigenous knowledge systems because we are an Australian university and we should recognize what indigenous cultures have developed in terms of animal management, animal conservation, livestock in the last 15,000 years and in the last 300 years after the European arrival. And also, we identify something that people sometimes call issues in indigenous communities. We call challenges and opportunities like one health, so not in diseases, veterinary public health. Once we identify that, we said, okay, now we need to understand what we have in the faculty. And we said, we have this number of students, this is the cultural or the uh, cultural composition of the, of the faculty, and this is what we need to do. 
So in that process, we identify some, some elements or some key principles for embedding cultural competence. One of them was that we should, it should benefit most of the students, if not all. The other element is that we should do a scaffolding across the degree. What's very important to identify that scaffolding across the program from year one to the last year and across unit of studies where cultural competence could be embedded. And in addition, we developed something that we call the roadmaps. The roadmaps of graduate reviews and learning outcomes year by year and also in, the, in those units of studies that we have identified. Equally, we identified that it was important to embed cultural competence as a graduate attribute of quality. So now that's part of our graduate quality. So people cannot say, no, I cannot help, I cannot embed, there is no excuses now. <laughs> and in that process, we start first work with the planning and designing three years, because uh, as I mentioned, our area of expertise is more on the clinic area, on the scientific area, on the genetic area. So we need to learn and start from scratch. We went and consulted with different people, indigenous, the better school, and then we identified that we possibly were the first one going into a comprehensive approach. Once we did that, we started implementing for three years. This year, we started implementing cultural competence. And we will continue in the DDM, and we will continue that for the next three years. So at the end, we expect that each student has been through nearly 40 to 60 hours of cultural competence, including an immersion or experiential uh, uh, learning in community. And that's all students. Wow. And that's great. Wow, sounds like a really comprehensive approach and really kind of thinking about challenging faculty to, to figure out ways of, of recognizing that this is professional knowledge. It is a part, it's a part of practicing, right? Um, and, and recognizing or kind of reframing um, some of those um, problems into to challenges and opportunities. Language is so important, I think, um, and, and oftentimes we kind of forget that how important kind of how we frame a challenge um, and as a problem re result, you know, needing a, a, an actual solution, but really kind of thinking very, sometimes that limits us into thinking um, not as creatively as I think that we probably could. So um, this sounds really, really exciting. So how have the students reacted? Um, the students uh, have been, you know, very passionate, uh, passionately involved and enthusiastic. So I'd love to give you a few examples of those. Sure. For example, one of the things that we've done um, to start with the curriculum, they absolutely love the curriculum, and um, many of them, you know, our DVM students, of course, have already done a degree, and they're quite mature people that come in. Um, so getting them engaged with some of the first exercises, which were just wonderful exercises, where students go to one of our parks that has a very long indigenous history and um, and listened and, and listened and understood to one of our indigenous colleagues from university talking about her tribe and the way what animals mean in her tribe and the relationship that dogs have in their in within her within her mob of people basically and how that should then influence how a veterinarian might approach a dog for example particularly around sensitive issues such as euthanasia so I think you know it's a lovely example about how that kind of face-to-face, -face, you know, discussion about a real tangible um, issue can just 
open up all sorts of ideas and possibilities and understandings that students, you know, students really benefit a lot from this kind of experiential learning. So I'm very positive about yeah. it. I think I'm in a, a very, very much looking forward to um, the next stages of the curriculum that we roll out next year. Um, so that's with the DVM. I think more generally, one of the things that's been wonderful has been seeing the interest that students have in our Indigenous seminar series. So Jaime's led an Indigenous seminar series in which we've brought in a series of um, Indigenous people and experts on a range of all sorts of issues from you know, land rights through to um, management of animals, uh, feral animals in Indigenous populations, you know, Indigenous hunting um, of, of, um, of Australian animals like dugongs and things like that that are quite contentious issues as well as um, the issue of food security in Indigenous communities, all sorts of fantastic seminars that we've had and you can actually see them online, they've been recorded and are available oh, online. So the students have been um, some of our strongest attenders at, at those 24 seminars and more than a thousand people have come to those over the last three years that we've run to them. Um, which is fantastic because it, it gets conversations happening that from which yeah. exciting possibilities will emerge. Um, I think the second thing is um, many of our students want to go and serve in Indigenous communities and to make a contribution because there are many issues around animal management in some of our most remote uh, and most disadvantaged communities in Australia. Um, issues such as, um, uh, you know, dog bite injuries, um, uh, zoonotic disease, um, parasites, those sorts of things, and animal health and welfare issues are very much a concern for many Indigenous populations because they don't have veterinary services apart from those that come in and out, sort of fly in, fly out kind of services. Right. Many of our students have have, uh, have wanted to sign up and, and to participate and volunteer for those programs. Um, and I think another measure that um, I thought was wonderful Recently, we have had a campaign called Pave the Way, which is all about staff and students donating to important causes that the university is working on. Well, people overwhelmingly in our university selected Indigenous scholarships as being the thing they wanted to put their money towards. So from our faculty alone, you know, we had many, many people who made donations towards Indigenous scholarships, both staff and students. So I think that tells you something about the level of interest and engagement and support that there is uh, for doing this. Yeah. There is an additional element there, and it's about uh, the indigenous students. Three years ago, the indigenous students, they didn't know each other. They, did, they, they were in some way, con not concerned, but they didn't want to come forward and celebrate with they want, not because we were pushing them, because we want to give them the opportunity. After three years, they have come in and said, look, I am an indigenous person and you know what? I feel very proud about that. An example of that is the videos that we have in the indigenous website where we celebrate the, the, the student success and they feel very proud. Even now I have many more students asking me if they can have videos of them promoting their journey in the university. And that's important because remember one of the first things I said that our indigenous students, although they were succeeding, they didn't want to identify 10 years ago. That's mm. changed. And I think that's really powerful. Um, powerful. It really is very powerful. And I think that there are a range of things that have helped with that. Um, it's not just what's happening in the classroom and support and, you know, the level of interest, but it's also some of the tangible things that we've done. So 
one of our early dreams that Jaime and I had was to try and get some money to um, put up some really big, beautiful Indigenous artwork in our lecture theatre. And um, so we went hunting for donations and that managed to track down some donations. So we've got these great big artworks in our lecture theatre on either side that tell stories about Indigenous knowledge of animal management, mm. um, which I think is really powerful. Um, the other thing that we do is with all of our events, um, every time we have a lecture or an event of some sort or another, we always start with an acknowledgement um, of custodianship of country. And in, a, in Sydney, that's really powerful. So we start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on, whom, on whose um, traditional land the University of Sydney is built. Um, and that's powerful because you don't have to go very far, just a couple of suburbs away on the edge of our harbour, there are beautiful Indigenous artworks carved in rock that mm. show their relationship with animals and this country. Kangaroos, whales, you know, all sorts of beautiful um, rock carvings that you could just see around Sydney Harbour that, that speak to that, you know, that Indigenous knowledge mm -hmm. that's been here in this place for tens of thousands of years. So. That's how we start acknowledging our lectures. And, and I think it's pretty powerful. It makes people stop and think about the knowledge that's embedded in this country and what we have Certainly to learn. Over the last five years um, or so, I've spent a lot of time looking at campus climate and its impact on, um, on veterinary students and veterinary students' performance in, a, in a, a separate study from the one that we did in 2011. And, and um, what you've raised is a huge point in terms of this kind of student's not being willing to identify 10 years ago as, as um, being from an indigenous background to now being very willing to, it, it really seems that um, not only have some of the kind of concrete programs made a difference, but just this acknowledgement um, that um, the country is, is older than, than, um, than what is known as Australia, right? And, and that there's this climate piece um, in, embedded in that acknowledgement that I think is probably very welcoming to students and um, really encouraging um, of them to kind of bring them their whole selves into that, in, um, that learning environment. And it's really very, very powerful. And I think that um, all of our institutions um, probably have a lot to, to you know, think about in terms of how do we build spaces that acknowledge um, everyone who's in the room and, and sharing that space and, um, and particularly within indigenous and First, First Nation populations, um, certainly as we call them in the US and in Canada. And so um, that is incredibly um, powerful and um, I can't wait to come to Sydney one day to see those, those, those star of rocks. I'll be sure to put in the links to the seminar series. I saw that website and um, said, wow, I have 24 lectures I need to sit down and look at. It's pretty exciting. So um, could you tell us just a little bit more about kind of some of that extension programming? Because I know that students kind of go through these rotations and um, because there is a lack of um, veterinary service in some of these more remote areas, kind of, could you tell us a little bit about how that works at, at your institution, kind of getting students um, and faculty to those to those spaces um, so that students not only have that experience, but more importantly, veterinary service is available even sporadically to those communities. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I can start with 
um, we are we are uh, promoting more engagement with indigenous communities. We are enhancing our research programs in indigenous areas. We at the moment have two programs. One uh, both both focus on animal health, on dog health, and also we are trying to develop some service hubs with indigenous communities that is uh, managed by Central University, by the BBC Indigenous Service and Strategy, Professor Shane Houston. He has been a good supporter of what we do in the faculty. And we are trying to address the needs of the communities. Instead of us thinking what they need, they will tell us what they need, and we see how we can address those questions of needs that they have. Yes. No, that's it exactly. Um, one of the things we we all need to learn is that you, you need to start with understanding, understanding what it is that communities feel that they need rather than trying to impose. So um, a very important part of all these relationships is starting with that dialogue and sitting down and discussing in detail the sorts of needs. Um, we, we think that there are lots of interesting projects to pursue, um, research projects and projects that bring students into communities. Um, that will really help to address some of the, the you know, important problems we have in Australia, which are around um, particularly uh, very poor health of many people in remote and indigenous, remote indigenous communities, um, you know, quite high rates of various zoonotic diseases, uh, quite high rates of dog bite injuries, um, and of course it intersects with some of our issues around biosecurity in Australia as well, because in our northern Far northern Australia is not very populous, and um, many of the uh, many of the parts of Australia that will that are most likely to see incursions of exotic disease like rabies or foot and mouth disease um, are indigenous lands, and uh, we need to work with people in those communities to help them protect their communities. And we've got some great little projects I could talk about um, that we're working on in partnership. So I think that really provides. Um, a really good way of forming partnerships that provide solutions for the future that our students want to get engaged with. They're, they're great projects for research and for, uh, for student experience um, that we're supporting. The other range of projects that I talked a bit about was um, we have a, a body in Australia called AMRIC, which provides animal management services for rural and remote Indigenous communities um, and particularly focuses on dog health. So, we quite regularly get students to go out with veterinarians who fly into very remote communities and will do their best to try and do a health check on every, every animal that is available and to do desexing and community education programs. And a number of our students have, have taken those opportunities over recent years and really it's, it's quite life-changing um, having that kind of experience. So yeah, there's both of those things happening. Yeah. Great. So 25% of your student population are from outside of Australia. Did you mention that earlier? Yeah. Yep, that's right. And within Sydney, even our local Sydney population, about you know, 25, 30% of those are either first generation or speak a non-English non speaking background at home. So, so it's really quite a diverse population, which is fantastic. It <laughs> is, is, but it, go ahead. Yeah, it has been a very interesting because when we have been teaching cultural competence and we talk about indigenous areas, the students come forward and start talking about their own culture, their own perceptions about animals. 
And so the indigenous portfolio has been like an umbrella when we start talking about different cultural perceptions about animals and the influence or the significance of this for professional practice. We have recordings, videos about this, for instance, how students can go and say, I know about the indigenous, that is very important, but it's about the Muslim perceptions. It's about the China, any kind of any group in China or any group in social group in Indonesia. So it's very important to understand that, and especially in Australia, that we are a very multicultural country. No, it's, it's, I think Hani's spot on because um, about 25% of our students will spend some time overseas, and many of them go to work in quite remote communities in uh, Southeast Asia, places like Laos, Cambodia, Indonesia. So this lens of cultural competence is something that allows you to engage in a whole range of other communities by you know, stopping and thinking and, and making sure students understand the con context that they're working within. So. Sure, that was, that was the point that I wanted to make, that this really has huge implications um, internationally as students kind of um, either travel or return home um, to home countries and, and have this lens and this set of skills to kind of think about and consider as um, they go about their professional lives. It really has um, such a long arm of impact. So it's really exciting. So tell me, um, we have just a few minutes left. Um, this hour goes by very quickly. And I don't want to keep you because I know that you're just starting your day there. Um, but tell me a little bit about what's next at um, at Sydney and kind of, I, I, I heard tell um, that you, you mentioned earlier some additional changes in the curriculum. And with um, so many initiatives, kind of what what's um, on next for the next, you know, for the next three to five years or so? Where do you see things going? Well, I think uh, you've heard about the, um, the really lovely scaffold that Heinz produced around curriculum. Um, and I think what's next is the rest of the university are deeply interested in what Heinz and the team have done here and its success. So I think it's, you know, our job is to try and help our colleagues more broadly in the university engage with that. And my piece as someone who sits on accreditation committees uh, and has an input into our standards in Australia um, is to speak up on behalf of uh, the need to make cultural competence a component of our accreditation process too. So I think personally there's some things that I think about that. Uh, before I go into your question, I want to say something. It's very important in this journey of cultural competence to have leadership. Leadership from above, that was from Roxanne, leadership from other levels, that was from me and other members of the team, to be able to achieve that. And we need patience, and we need passion, and we need enthusiasm and commitment. It's very important. And for instance, we need, I, I, my area again is genetics, but I, I am very passionate about the, the cultural competence area. So it's important that if we do our service thinking about the social, the social impact of what we do, not only the scientific impact. Having said that, I want to say that we also want to empower our indigenous students. I shouldn't say our, I should say the faculty indigenous students to empower them to be, to be where they want to be, to empower them with leadership skills, to empower them with knowledge, to empower them with opportunities for placement as we are doing, opportunities for research, opportunities of, for, to socialize. I can talk for hours about the other activities that we are doing with them. But the important thing there is that the students feel comfortable and happy and can succeed. And we give them that chance, it's very important. 
what we are going to do in the next three years or four years, I think that, uh, as I said in one of my comments to the, someone in the university, was I would love cultural companies to become everybody business and business as usual. So we could focus in our research, in our, our research as well. And, and it's important that in the next three years, we focus in implementing the curriculum review to finalize that and continue the evaluation of that program and focusing more in, on research and community engagement. It's very important to do that. Great, wonderful. So exciting. So um, I have one last question. Um, and uh, this is for you, Dean Taylor. What would you like to share and kind of what parting words for this podcast would you like uh, to share with your Dean colleagues around the world? I think the, the key thing is that, uh, you know, change is really, you know, Change in these in, in this sort of way is really exciting for everybody that's involved, and um, it's remarkable if you you know if you conceive of a plan, even if it seems unachievable to begin with, um, if it's really got a good purpose, and we know that cross that cultural competency has a deeply good purpose, it's remarkable where the support will come from. It will come from all over, so it, it's it's worthwhile doing. It's achievable. And um, and it's transformative because once you've made the change, you don't go back. You know, we will never go back to where we were before. So um, I guess deans are people who have a lot of pressures on their time and uh, a lot of demands on their plate. But uh, there couldn't be anything more important than thinking about the future of our profession and really ensuring that it's diverse, that it's equitable, and that we have the best talent from everywhere. That we that it's available and that we're engaged with all of our communities and I think that's the message around cultural competence, isn't it? Yes. All right, that is wonderful. So with that, I think that we will wrap up this episode of diversity and inclusion on air with the AAVMC. I'd like to thank both of our guests. Thank you so much for spending this hour with me talking about. Um, things that are some really exciting things that are going on at University of Sydney and um, certainly in another couple of years when we're still doing this program, we'd love to have you back <laughs> and talk about kind of what's happened um, since uh, our chat today. So um, for everyone that's watching live or um, later, we will see you again in December um, for the next episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. Thank you.